Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, well <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could never edit that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, I'm all this stuff. It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny V, and today I'm super excited to welcome Paige Toon back to the podcast for the third time. You can hear her on episodes 34 and 107. Paige grew up between England, Australia, and America, and has been writing books setting sun-drenched locations around the world since 2007. She's released 15 contemporary romance novels and 19 in total and today we're going to talk about someone I used to know. Welcome back Paige. Oh thank you for having me. Nice to to chat to you again. Yeah likewise whenever you have a new book out and you know the the publicists sort of come to you and say who would you like to speak to? I'm always like yeah I want to speak to Paige again so (laughs) that's a thing now. I really love reading your books and at the moment you know Sydney's in lockdown and I'm actually on leave from my day job so I've been able to just really read a lot of books and your book takes me out of the current world which is a bit complex at the moment so that's been a really nice thing so thank you for that. Oh my pleasure. (laughs) Now someone I used to know can you give us an elevator pitch as to what this one is about? Sure. Um, Well, this is the story of Leah um, and her parents are foster parents. So when she was growing up, she was sharing her house with all these troubled teenagers, one of whom was this boy called George. And the book is set between um, alternating timelines, alternating chapters um, at the age of 15, when you kind of see them meet and they also meet another boy called Theo. And then when they're in the later years, 30, um, and George comes back into Leah's life. And Theo, who is her husband, is missing. But um, you discover sort of why. There are a few twists and turns along the way. Mm, absolutely, there are. It's a really interesting premise, though, the family of foster children. And I think this gives you a lot of material to explore and the complexity of the relationships and the complexity of these kids' backgrounds and how that impacts them as adults. So what inspired this particular story? 
I think the idea just just came to me. You know, I was just I was interested to know what it would be like to have to share your parents and share your house with all these kids who effectively need them more. Um, so I was intrigued by that. But when I started doing my research, I discovered that it's not uncommon um, for siblings to be separated when they go into care, um, mm. with younger children being put up for adoption and the older children going into care. And I just found that absolutely heartbreaking. Sometimes they don't even get to say goodbye to each other. Wow. And a friend who was telling me this, she works in family court, so she's seen this happen firsthand. So the older teenagers who are on the verge of aging out of the care system, you know, they can get placements, not with too much difficulty. But the kids who are sort of like 12, 13, 14, you know, they really struggle to find placements because it's really hard to place so I also kind of wanted to shine a light on on this sort of this situation and have write about really inspirational foster parents who mainly focus on these kids, you know, these sort of younger teenagers. So that's um that's Leah's parents, uh, Carrie and Ivan. Um, but it was in doing this research and discovering the situation where siblings get separated. And the same friend she said to me that when the kids grow up, it's not their parents that they look for first; it's their siblings, mm. and they often do it on Facebook and. It just that that inspired the character of George. You know, this is a situation that George finds himself in. He's been separated from his young sister. You know, obviously incredibly troubled. Um, and Leah finds herself drawn to him. You know, mm. that's just so heartbreaking. I actually didn't know that siblings. I mean, I suppose it makes sense not to me, but you know, I understand that that could happen. But it, it's so awful that they're not only don't have their parents for whatever reason they're separated from their siblings it's really heartbreaking that the families are separated like that oh it's so heartbreaking i mean when i was doing this foster you know my research on foster care and just you know hearing about these poor kids who you know ripped away from everything that they know you know their bedroom their toys their pets their obviously their parents and their siblings and and then thrust into this completely strange household you know mm. which i just expected to, to slot in you know i mean i this was my most emotional book to write, you know. Really? I just found the, the looked after children angle, I just found so heartbreaking because obviously the story itself is fictional, but I had to do so much research in order to, you know, come up with, with these different scenarios that at the point that George comes to live in the house, there are nine people living under the, under the roof. So he's kind of squeezed in a little bit, but, um, you know, Leah's parents, as I say, I wanted to write about really inspirational foster parents who sort of take the kids for, you know, the, because they really want to help and really want the kids to feel like they're safe and in this situation where they can stay for as long as possible. Because that's something else that happens a lot. Kids moved from home to home and, you know, moved on and, you know, just it must be so unsettling. So I kind of just hope that maybe this might inspire someone one day in the future to, you know, consider if not fostering, then something else, you know, that, something else that I, you know, discovered in my research was just how much the average person can do, whether that's be, you know, support another foster family, like take them a meal sometime or be like a shoulder to lean on for a social worker, you know, who can just offload a bit, you know, just it, it, may, it might help them be a little bit more resilient at work, you know, and it's just there's so much that anyone can do or let your kids play with foster kids, you know, kind of just so they don't feel quite so isolated and you know that sort of thing because you know one of the foster parents I spoke to she said you know when she started fostering her babysitting options halved you know nobody wanted to have anything to do with troubled kids you know and um and she just said how much it meant to her to have friends that you know their kids were allowed to play with you know with her kids <laughs> so yeah I just wanted to shine a light on that whole thing but um 
ultimately it's a love story you know, yeah story. yeah it is it is and we'll, we'll get to that don't worry we'll get to that <laughs> get to those good bits but you know I thought it was a really important issue because you don't hear or read many stories about foster families well I haven't myself and you know I really like how you have juxtaposed as well you know that really complex sad situation for those kids but with the inspirational parents who've just taken these kids because they want to try and make a difference but I like how you said you can make a difference in other ways and I can imagine if you did have nine people under your roof I'm I'm not sure how usual that is a meal would be very helpful yeah exactly (laughs) even just just having a cup of tea you know and just having a chat you know it's just sort of I think just being there yeah people might need help and and not being as judgmental and being a bit more compassionate and understanding of, you know, these situations. I just think that anything like that can help the bigger picture. And the empathy as well. I mean, you touch on it. These children are taken away suddenly, often without any belongings, separated from their siblings. I mean, I'm not sure how we expect them to then slot into a family, you know, without some at least teething problems, you know. So I guess the empathy behind the reasons of way, you know, they may be behaving, you know, might help you helping you go through that and so help you move through that, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it must be no wonder they're angry, you mm-hmm. know, no wonder they're lashing out, you know. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, so to just have, like, foster parents who are, you know, resilient and, you know, kind and who just give them the space to, you know, to go through what they need to go through and not just expect them to, you know, slot in and do well at school and not cause problems, you know, mm-hmm. it's just about having patience, I think, and yeah. understanding Mm, absolutely which I'm sure can be trying at times but I think the book touched on all of those things now I do want to talk about the past I want to talk about nostalgia and how we often romanticize nostalgia I mean I do all the time (laughs) I was like oh the 80s are the best time of the world you know (laughs) I don't know if that's true but in my brain you know nostalgia is really powerful and I think that's a big part of this story you know having the the parallel narratives past and present and then having someone from your past come back so I want to talk about about you know nostalgia in the book was that something you you wanted to create or something that is inspired by you know what you think of your own past um it's funny you know I've written like much more nostalgic books in the past like five years from now yes I loved that yeah okay so that's told you know from the age of when the characters are five yes you know every five years you pick up with them and um and you know ending when they're about 40 and when I wrote that it was basically to the timeline of my own life so (laughs) I could you know I could really remember what music I was listening to when I was 15 you know I could really remember the sort of things I was doing when I was 20 and you know what was kind of new in the world and just even think like mobile phones you know weren't Mm. kind of there when I was a teenager and um and so that was really nostalgic for me. But this one, because it's only 15 years, I mean, like 15 years is not that long, you know, when you kind of like look back, you know. So, you know, I, I mean, I, I didn't really have to do sort of pop culture references or anything like that so much. You know, it wasn't, I think there might have been like a couple, but, you know, on the whole, it was, yeah, not like a, I didn't find it massively nostalgic. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I just think looking back to the past, and I often think that nostalgia is one of the most powerful feelings or emotions you can have. Yeah, we absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's interesting. I love nostalgia. I think everyone's looking backwards a little bit, you know, like with everything that's going on in the world, you know, you can't help but feel even more. Yeah, that's right. Like, remember 20, remember how great 2018 was? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, that was the best year. Like 2020, we had such high hopes. Yay, 2020. <laughs> 2018 is getting a good rap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Now, I, I always love, you know, stories about first loves and, you know, those, those things that are always so memorable and they imprint our lives, you know, even as we, we grow into adults and, you know, might fall in love with other people, it's that sort of feeling of first love that does stick with you. So I like how, you know, this book deals with that as well. Talk, talk to me about the love and the romance page. Okay, so, um, well, first love, I love writing about first love because, you know, nothing is more powerful than falling in love, I think, for the very first time, you know, feeling all of those feelings. So, you know, for me, I'm inside Leah's head, you know, and I'm writing from the first person and experiencing all of that with her. You know, I don't write if I'm not feeling it, you know, so to just sort of lose myself in this, you know, this sort of slow building romance. But I also love writing about forbidden love. You know, I love writing about you know, there being a reason why you can't, you know, you can't sort of move on with that person. And certainly in Leah's case, you know, this is another reason I, I decided to write the, you know, the, the book that I did is, um, you know, she can't fall in love with someone who's living under her roof, you know, like George would get moved on. So she knows that, you know, she can't, that nothing can happen between them. So there's a lot of sort of chemistry and building. And of course, you know, he may be thinks that she just doesn't like him, <laughs> you know, so there's a, it's a misunderstanding and stuff that ends up getting cleared up later, you know, but, um, but that was nice like, to be able to build that chemistry. And, mm. um, and there's another boy as well, Theo, who is, he has love and care issues of his own. Like he's the son of a wealthy landowner. And, um, you know, on the surface, he looks like he has it all, you know, he go, you know, has been going to boarding school and stuff. But one day on the same day that Leah meets George, Theo climbs onto their state school bus, you know, standing outside his sort of, you know, massive manor house, you know, and there's the gates that kind of go, you know, go on for the driveway that goes on for miles, you know, he's standing out there waiting for the bus and climbs on and they bond because Theo gets beaten up. <laughs> so, you know, but sort of Leah becomes really close to both of them and obviously they become close to each other. So it's a real sort of, you know, bond between the three of them. But, you know, that breaks up, you know, there's, as I say, you know, this, this, the beginning of the book is a little bit more weighted towards the 15 section. And then the, you know, the second half of the book is more weighted to now and what's happening right now in the present day when they're 30. Um, but I think it's really important for the reader to be able to, I'd rather show them than tell them what had happened. You know, yeah. I'd rather they can kind of experience it for themselves, you know, meet the other foster children and, you know, go through some of that emotional roller coaster along the way. And then, you know, be kind of like really connected to George and Leah in the now section. Mm, oh, I love that. And I love first loves and forbidden loves because there's no sadder story than a forbidden love, is there? No, I know. Yeah, I'm like, that's my favourite trope, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, you know, if two people really want to be together and there's chemistry and they can't, that's the saddest story. I know, I know. Yeah, I love it. I, just, <laughs> I love the way that makes me feel, you know, kind of. <laughs> nervousness and the butterflies and the you know the sort of you know it's I always try and inject a little bit of that story. <laughs> I love how you said that page like you nothing is sadder I love it <laughs> <laughs> well because ultimately you know like they do tend to find a way you know, like, these are not sort of sad stories that I'm writing you know, sometimes it doesn't yes. go the way that you might expect you know I don't like to be predictable but um but yeah <laughs> mm. and and speaking about that because you know there has to be some sort of tie up and satisfaction for the reader but you know you just said that you don't want to be predictable do you know from the beginning how it's going to end or sometimes are you halfway through a book and you think oh I can't end the book this way because the last one ended or do you just feel it with the characters how do you do this 
Um, I almost always know how it's going to end. Okay. Um, with 13 weddings, I didn't. I decided to not make that decision. You know, I knew, I kind of like wanted to just... Be surprised. That really thrilling to kind of, <laughs> you know, go with it. I knew various different outcomes, but it wasn't until I was writing it, you know, that I kind of wrote the outcome that it had. Wow. Um, and the reason I did that was because when I was writing One Perfect Summer, which was the book before that, I was about 20,000 words before the end and I was just thinking I don't think this is as clear-cut as I had initially thought mm-hmm. you know um, the character one of the characters wasn't as much of a he wasn't as much of a bad guy as I was initially sort of expecting him to be. <laughs> and so I thought it was going to be you know he was just I guess a bit more realistic you know flawed but um but you know I could I could see that she could choose him you know mm-hmm. like I could see for various reasons he would be a safer, easier choice, you know. And so I just, I ended up sort of thinking, I'm just going to see how this goes. You know, I'm going to just write this book and um, and see how, how it sort of pans out. And I found that so liberating that I decided to do that, do that with 13 Weddings. But the funny thing is, those are the two books that I've written um, a short story <laughs> ebook sequels to. Oh, wow. That's so funny. So it just goes to show that, you know, they they needed more. You know, so it's better for me really to have a clear idea, you know, really clear idea of what's going to happen. Because otherwise, you know, if it's, it's you know, if it's not 100% resolved, you know, then I'll end up coming back to it and writing a bit more. <laughs> Unfinished business. What yeah. I really, I really liked what you said then about, you know, you, you figured out the character on the way and you're like, oh, hang on, you know, this, this could work or this couldn't work. And it's almost like you're discovering and you're kind of falling for the characters too as you go along. Yeah, completely. Yeah, no. Because I write from the first person, I'm absolutely, you know, inside, inside the head and feeling what she's feeling. You know, so <laughs> it's really fun. It's like being in a little movie inside your head. I kind of want my book to feel like that to readers. Mm. You know, I want readers to like my books are as easy, I think, to read as it is to sit down and watch a movie. You know, yeah. Um, so you hopefully, you know, you're just completely engaged and immersed in all the feelings that you know you're going through. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's why I keep reading them and keep asking you to come back. <laughs> <laughs> now settings are really important in your novel as we touched on in your intro and this one was set in North Yorkshire so tell me about the setting for this one so funnily enough you know I've written books set all around the world I love to travel and go to the places that I'm researching you know so I like to go and sort of spend time we did actually manage to go abroad last summer you know there was a ease and restrictions and we drove all the way to Norway and you know drove through five other countries you know to get there um but this year, you know, the choice of setting it in North Yorkshire might have seemed to some people like, oh, it's because she couldn't get anywhere. But I had the idea for this book like three years before I before I started writing it and always wanted to set it there because it is one of my favourite places in the whole world. I've been married to a Yorkshireman for over half my life, been going to various different places in Yorkshire, and it is just the most stunning countryside. And where I set this book, Brimham Rocks, is this just the most incredible it just it's the most beautiful place you should google it it's um it's got all these giant rocks kind of like coming out of the landscape you know they were kind of formed over 300 million years and um you know it's set within feather uh, sorry heather and ferns and and so we went up there for a research trip i went up there with my husband last sort of at the end of august last year and um just sort of climbed up to the the edges, the outskirts of Brimham Rocks and looked down at all the farms and, you know, just basically sat there and I was making notes and working out which would be Leah's farm. She lives on an alpaca farm, you know, her because, you know, I had sort of 
I thought I wanted the kids to be able to help out on the farm. I wanted there to be some sort of, you know, rural setting, you know, for these kids who might have come from the city. Um, but when I was thinking about it, you know, Yorkshire doesn't really have crop farms as such, you know, it's mainly meat. Um, and I just didn't feel that comfortable about foster children coming to, you know, work on a farm where the animals would go off to be slaughtered. Yep. And so when I was talking about this to my mother-in-law, you know, she said, what about an alpaca farm? And there is a bit of, there's a history of alpaca farming, you know, um, in that sort of area. So, so it just, I love the idea, you know, the, the idea of these enormously cute kind of fluffy animals being part of, you know, part of the farm, you know, was, <laughs> was so much more fun than cows and sheep. <laughs> no, I think so too. Everyone loves an alpaca. And I thought that was an interesting part of the book too. Now you've mentioned your mother-in-law. Now, am I right in saying that you dedicated this book to your parents-in-law? I did. I did. Yeah. My parents-in-law, um, Ian, my father-in-law, he, he was a deputy head at a school and he used to take these kids, like he would go off to this place. So they had this amazing sort of like, you know, kind of get away this house, you know, called Spires Bank and used to take the kids for this, you know, kind of rural trip out of, out of school for a few days. Um, but the bad kids, <laughs> the so-called bad kids were not allowed to go. And Ian didn't think this was right. And so he would take them on a separate trip. He would make sure they still went and he would just take all of the kids who were, you know, like badly behaved at school or whatever. And years later, these same kids would come up to him and say, thank you so much, you know, for, for taking us. Wow. <laughs> you know, and just like not, like not being scared of, mm. you know, taking them basically. Um, and I found that really inspirational too, you know, so he absolutely inspired, you know, part of, you know, Leah's parents and that and that situation. I love that. That's a really nice story. And since you brought up your, your mother-in-law, I thought, yeah, well, I don't want to mention that, that you dedicated this book to them. I thought that was lovely. Yeah. I love I love reading dedications. <laughs> I'm one of those people who read all the dedications, all the acknowledgements, because I find them really interesting. I don't know if I'm the only oh. one. <laughs> well, no, I couldn't write a book about, like, Yorkshire and not dedicate it to my, to my yes. parents. Yes, good point. Taking me and showing me so many... <laughs> For, for you know my half my life so it was good really point <laughs> and they came to my launch party recently as well which was oh, so lovely nice. oh that's really nice i want to ask you after you know, we established 15 uh, contemporary romance books and 19 novels in total how has your writing process changed from the very early days to now um i think now i just accept that i can only write in in nova um, September, October, and November. <laughs> so in the past, you know, I've always like, right now I've got a year before the next one's due, I'm going to start writing it. But I just do not feel it. I, I've, I've really struggled to write at other times of the year. So now I'm just wow. kind of like, you know what? I'm going to start writing in September after what? the summer holidays. I try and do my research mm -hmm. and there's so much more publicity and stuff that you have to do now as an author. I mean, it's just social media has been insane lately. Like the idea of trying to squeeze in, you know, any, any writing whatsoever on top of not if I still haven't managed to get to Facebook after publication, you know, I haven't been on Twitter for five days because I'm so busy on Instagram that it's just, you know, it, it feels like it's relentless. I can't put my phone down. So the idea of actually managing to get proper work done at this time of year, it just feels impossible. So mm. I'm going to come back with fresh, you know, given my head enough space to, you know, kind of also let go of these characters because yes. I'm, my head is still so full of them, you know, yeah. after writing the book and, and delivering it and now publicizing it, you know, mm. it's really, really hard for me to feel connected to some new characters. Mm. So 
now I just don't beat myself up about it. I just, I just know you're on your own. I get it. <laughs> well, in the last month where it all just massively comes together and I'm writing really fast. So yeah. I just need to try and relax and hope to God that we don't get sick. <laughs> <laughs> well, after 15 books, I think you can back yourself. I think you, yeah, I know, I know what I'm doing. But it's interesting because even maybe subconsciously from, you know, wherever January to September, maybe, you know, you are sort of really having these ideas percolate in your head. Do you think that's the case as well? Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, even though I write, I do my writing in three months, I'm working all the time, yeah. you know, like I'm thinking all the time. You know, I've been thinking about this story, the, the next story I'll write for, you know, a good couple of years. I mean, sometimes I, you know, I like someone I used to know, I had the idea about three years ago, but I ended up writing them in I Saw You first because I just, this idea just sort of came to me about Hannah's character and her backstory. And I just thought, I'm, I, w I need to write that now, you know. So I've been thinking about this one for a long time. So it feels really clear to me by the time I come to sit down and write it, you know, like, and I have these key scenes in my head that I'm just driving, you know, the story towards. Um, and just can't wait for those, you know, reveals and things to happen. Um, but yeah, no, an author is is working so much more than just, it's so much more than just sitting down and typing out words. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's just how fast can you type? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I really love that. Now, um, I ask, you know, I've asked you this question before because you've been on twice before, so I've kind of changed it a little bit But because I think answers can be different depending on the mood or your new experience or whatever. But, Paige, why do you keep writing? I, well, I write because I have to. I mean, I, I now that I have a book deal, you know, now that I know, like, when I first started writing, I, you know, I, I've written ever since I was a little girl, you know, and when I first started really, really wanting to write a book in my early 20s, I just couldn't believe it would ever happen to me. And it was just so, I found it so heartbreaking. I thought this is going to be my biggest regret. But that fear of it, of nothing ever coming from it actually stopped me from writing. So even though I would write like little short stories or, you know, I sort of, you know, started writing this novel time and time again, you know, but just couldn't kind of get it off the ground because I just was thinking I was too scared, you know, too scared of, of it being my biggest regret of it not happening, you know, and just being my biggest disappointment, you know, so I was too scared of basically facing that eventuality. Um, so I got a book deal based on the idea and the fact of For Lucy in the Sky, my first book, and the fact that I had, you know, I was working at like one of the biggest magazines, of, you know, in, in the world at the time, a heat magazine as a reviews editor. So I had credibility and I had, you know, kind of a name that was already slightly recognised. So I was actually given a book deal based on the idea. And then I did, I very quickly wrote like the first three chapters, you know, um, so they could tell that I could write as well. But ever since then, I've had a book deal. So I've had this lovely kind of, you know, I know it's going to come out. I know it's going to get published. So that's enough for me. And just to sort of have that deadline, you know, year on year that I'm working towards, it just keeps me driven and focused. And when I'm writing, I'm more creative than at any other time of year. That's usually when I come up with my ideas, you know, for next books. And so, yeah, I write because I absolutely love it. You know, like I, I wouldn't stop even if I didn't get published, you know, like I wouldn't stop now because it's something that is just as important to me as, you know, eating <laughs> so, you know it's it's what I it's what I do but I'm very very lucky in that you know I know that there's a readership and I know that there's a market for the books that I write you know that gives me the peace of mind to just be able to lose myself in my in my stories 
I really like how you said that the fear of not achieving something often paralyzes you because I think that's so true for all of us. You're so scared of failing at this huge thing that you really want that you really have to push yourself through that sort of paralysis. Otherwise, of course, it's not going to happen, you know, but it's it's hard place to be, isn't it? It is, you know, and I mean, I'm disappointed in myself for being like that, you know, for not actually just writing the book like so many other authors do. You know, they write the book first and then they get the book deal. Um, I think one thing that's different these days is that you can self-publish. So you can write a book, you can get it out there and it's down to you. You know, everything, it's all about you. You don't have to rely on some publisher saying, yes, we're going to, you know, we're going to buy this and, and, you know, put you out there. You know, you can actually do it. And I would just say my advice would be that you can't edit nothing. And when you start writing, you will you will pull apart every single word you write. I still do it. I'm a great one to give advice, but you know, <laughs> I would genuinely say, like, if there's any way at all you can write without reading what you've written until you get to the end, you will be in an amazing spot because you can go back and edit it. You can make it better. When you're at the end of a novel, you will have so much more confidence in your writing. So you can, you know, it doesn't matter if the beginning is not as great as you know, you might have wanted it to be, you can change it, you know, but you can't edit nothing. So, you know, the secret is to just do it. Mm, just oh, that's true. But I don't think you should be disappointed in yourself because I actually think it's part of being a human because I, what, what came to me was Jane Austen's quote of, if I loved you less, no, if I loved you less, I could talk about it more. Maybe I'm paraphrasing, maybe I'm paraphrasing a little bit there, but you know, so it's about the thing when something's so important to you and when you know you, you need or love or want something so much, it's almost like you can't talk about it. So it's interesting, yeah, it's isn't it? All encompassing. Yeah, really yeah. interesting. Yeah, it is. Oh look, Paige, I've loved this chat as always, and I loved this book so much. So, you know, I'm one of the readers who look forward to your books every year, and I, I really look forward actually into where they're going to be set as well, because they oh. they take you away. And um, I think in the last couple of years we've really needed that more than ever. So although you know North Yorkshire is quite close to you, it's not to me. So oh, I felt yeah. like I was going on a bit of a holiday as well. So oh. <laughs> so thank you so much for talking to me about this book again and um, you know being really honest and candid with your answers because I love how your book you know they are like you said it's like watching a movie and there is so much escapism but you also deal with some really important and complex issues and that's what I think I really like about the book that it, it balances those things really really well oh thank you so much that's, that's lovely Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. We'd love to engage with you on social media. You can find the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Danny V Books, Words and Nerds podcast. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay safe and read more books.